They called them Sabia or Jaria. This means female slaves. Dash viewed them as spoils of war, said Dr. Luma Hazim. A dark-haired woman with glasses, Dr. Hazim was hosting us at a centre in Iraqi Kurdistan that helps Yazidi women who were abducted by Islamic State. Dr. Hazim spoke quietly as she detailed the unimaginable crimes the women suffered. She said that most women were raped multiple times. Many were gang-raped. Some had broken bones when they came to the centre, and many had genital problems. The centre she runs has helped at least 910 Yazidi women who escaped Islamic State. The youngest victim was just eight years old, the oldest a woman aged 70. Many survivors suffer post-traumatic stress disorder. Dr. Hazim explained that the centre was established after the first survivor arrived in the city of Duhok on the 18th of September 2014. She was a 15-year-old girl who escaped from IS captivity in Mosul. She required urgent medical and psychological help, Dr. Hazim said, adding that she quickly realised there would be many more distraught victims. We were in the Kurdish city of Duhok after arriving in Iraqi Kurdistan a few days earlier. Our trip to the war-torn country was to document the impact of Islamic State on the Yazidis, one of the most persecuted religious minorities in the world. Estimates put the global number of Yazidis at about 700,000, with the vast majority concentrated in northern Iraq. Yazidism is an ancient faith. The majority of Yazidis consider themselves ethnically Kurdish, but they are religiously distinct from Iraq's predominantly Sunni Kurdish population. For their beliefs, the Yazidis have long been persecuted, and they are considered heretics and devil worshippers by Islamic State, who wanted to wipe them out in 2014. It was in August three years ago when the Islamist terror group swept across large swathes of northern Iraq on a grotesque killing spree. Sinjar was one of the first towns they targeted, a peaceful Yazidi heartland close to Syria in northwest Iraq. There, Islamic State killed or kidnapped around 9,900 people during wanton medieval violence, according to a recent report. Of that figure, 3,100 people were murdered, with almost half executed by gunshot, beheading or being burned alive. IS also abducted nearly 6,800 Yazidis, mostly women, who were forced into sexual slavery. 50,000 other Yazidis fled up a mountain where they were forced to stay without food or shelter until they were rescued by Kurdish forces. Three years on from what they consider was genocide by IS, and with the Islamists defeated in Mosul and in retreat elsewhere, what now for the Yazidis? In Duhok, at least there is some hope. Dr. Hazim and her team provide a holistic approach with the centre offering survivors treatment from GPs, gynaecologists, psychologists, lawyers, outreach workers and social workers. Dr. Hazim provided testimony from three women who've been counselled. Each said that their lives were improving. I was sold several times, tortured and raped by IS members, said one woman aged 22 years old. Another woman said... I managed to escape with a lot of pains and lost hopes. Reaching Duhok, my friends who had received useful support advised me to visit the centre. I feel much better after attending a few psychotherapy sessions. 
It is hoped that the testimony of many women treated here could be used to bring criminal charges against Islamic State, and around 1,000 Yazidis have already given evidence to a local judge. These women want justice as well as healing, as do many Yazidis we meet, but they are frustrated by the lack of progress. There are an estimated 300,000 Yazidis still in Iraqi Kurdistan. Dr. Hazim said that in the Duhok area alone there are 22 camps housing tens of thousands of internally displaced persons, IDPs, who fled from Islamic State. These include thousands of Yazidis who've been displaced from their homes for nearly three years now. At Duhok's main market we met a young Yazidi couple who said their lives were in limbo. Nori Sado and his wife Sana were in a shop that sells fruit juices, baklava and pots of yellow custard. They ordered drinks and sat and spoke with us. They were from Sinjar but live in an IDP camp just south of the city which has 6,000 tents. They married last year after meeting in the camp. Nori came from a village called Darkani. He and his family fled Darkani two and a half years ago. They escaped to the mountain and later to Syria before ending up in Duhok as IDPs. Nori works with a Norwegian NGO at the camp while Sana studies sports science at a local college. We are free to leave the camp, Nori said, adding that he and his friends do so most days to visit a gym. There are schools inside the camp and a health centre with around 10 NGOs providing support. Nori lives with Sana, next door to his mother and sister who live in a separate tent. Would they like to return to their home? I ask. Nori replied, I'm not sure. It's very difficult and it's not safe. Most people just want to go somewhere far away and forget what happened. Islamic State is no longer in Sinjar, but there is political instability with various factions vying for control. The land the Yazidis have lived on for centuries is caught up in a tug of war between Baghdad and Iraq's Kurds. Sinjar is politically important because it's in the disputed territories, ethnically mixed areas across northern Iraq, long the subject of a constitutional dispute between Baghdad and the Kurds who both claim them. It means that tens of thousands of Yazidis could remain scattered across northern Iraq for the near future. A sizable chunk of that diaspora is in Duhok, but there are significant populations in IDP camps elsewhere in northern Iraq, which is controlled by the Kurdistan regional government. In Erbil, the Kurdish capital, we met a tiny Yazidi community after leaving Duhok. They also came from Sinjar and have lived in an area of Erbil called Dreamworld since 2014. There were 100 people living in basic huts in the shadow of the plush seven-star Divan Hotel that towers above their ramshackle encampment. We visited during a thunderstorm with the help of an artist from Bolton, England, called Tracy Fenton. She was working at the University of Kurdistan, which has been supporting the Yazidis since autumn 2016. Fenton is artist-in-residence and has been using art to help people to cope with their situation. It is difficult to imagine what these families, including children, have witnessed. While sitting in one of the homes, a girl aged about six-year-old told us a story in her native language, Kermani. And when she said the word Dash, a.k.a. Islamic State, she drew her hand across her throat. Fenton, who studied education at Salford University, said that while the Yazidis were content living in Erbil, they all wished to return to Sinjar. 
A few weeks ago I was doing a project with them and said, draw something that makes you happy. And every single one of them drew the houses they left behind, Fenton said. Despite suffering such a grim past, coupled with an uncertain future, these families appeared contented. Part of this resilience is down to faith, and a few days later we managed to get a brief insight into Yazidism when we visited their spiritual heartland, Lalish. It's an ancient village of shrines in a valley east of Duhok, a place so sacred that all visitors must remove their shoes. Inside its main temple, we watched barefooted pilgrims kiss and touch colourful silk cloths tied to concrete pillars. They untied knots in the silk to make a wish before entering another chamber, where people were chanting in an underground crypt. Children chattered excitedly as they explored this revered place of worship. Outside, we spoke to one of the pilgrims. His name was Ali, a Yazidi from a small village near the Syrian border, but now resident in an IDP camp near Duhok. A large man with a thick moustache and fair skin, Ali talked about the night IS came. He said, They attacked at 10.30pm, and we defended our village with light weaponry until 8.30am, until it became too much to defend the village. It was the 3rd of August 2014. Ali and his family fled and spent eight days on Mount Sinjar, before eventually getting to safety. He said conditions in the IDP camp were good and that his family was happy enough. In less than a fortnight though, Ali would leave them. His home village was still under Daesh control and he was a commander in a Yazidi battalion with the Peshmerga, the Kurds' main military force. He said there were 8,500 Yazidis fighting alongside the Peshmerga. Ali said, They created a battalion for the Yazidis, all volunteers, and I am one of them. So, I have been fighting for the Peshmerga and President Barzani. I am a commander in this regiment and I am due to go back to the front line in 12 days, the Sinjar front. I asked if he was nervous about going to war. No, I only fear God, Ali replied, smiling before shaking my hand and bidding farewell. Ali faces an uncertain future as does his people, who sought help from Scotland this year. In January, a young Yazidi woman who'd been kidnapped by Islamic State, met with First Minister Nicola Sturgeon to ask for help for survivors. Nadia Murad was tortured and raped by IS before escaping to Germany. She has since been appointed as UN ambassador and has travelled widely internationally seeking justice for her people. In March following Murad's visit, the Scottish Parliament debated the issue of justice for the Yazidis and its Justice Committee wrote to the UK government asking that it urge the UN to investigate genocide and refer it to the International Criminal Court. In September, the UN Security Council finally agreed to investigate the terror group's crimes in Iraq. The UN resolution empowered the UN Secretary-General to establish a team with a mandate to collect evidence of acts that may amount to genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. Murad thanked Scotland for its help. She said, I am grateful to Nicola Sturgeon all members of Scottish Parliament, as well as the entire UK government for recognising Yazidi genocide and ISIS crimes against all civilians in Iraq and Syria. At time of writing, though, progress on securing Islamic State convictions has been painfully slow, and, more than three years on, thousands of Yazidis are still seeking justice.